Turn, if you would, this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time to be here this morning. I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to be willing to examine our lives, that you would help us to be willing to see where this message may relate, where this message may apply. And God, that we'd be willing to make whatever changes that may need to be made. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will remember that last week we began looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and watched as Solomon uh, made a very important point that still needs to be made today and every week and in every church. He talked about how serious of an event it is when we enter into the house of God. He made it clear that this is not something to be taken lightly, that this is not something that we need to do so with a cavalier or a flippant attitude. We need to do so with an understanding that we are coming into the presence of God and we need to take that time serious. As a result, he also communicated this truth in the passage that whenever we speak, whenever we declare things, whenever we make promises or vows or whatever it may be in the house of God, we are then responsible and accountable for those things that we would say and those things that we would profess. And so as a result, what Solomon said was we need to be ready to hear, we need to let our words be few, and we need to not be hasty in the things that we say. And I, I'm saying this because we need the reminder, it is so easy for you and I as individuals to say things, to commit to things, to promise things, to, to talk about how, well, we're going to do this, or we're going to stop doing this, or me and my family, we're going to do this. And if we're not following through with those things, it doesn't change the fact that we're still accountable for everything we've promised and for everything that we've declared. God takes serious what we say and what we profess. And then he went on to explain this, that foolishness is revealed in the multitude of words. So many times people reveal their immaturity. So many times people reveal really how ignorant they are of spiritual things because they don't know when to stop talking. And it would just do people good sometimes to not say anything. Because when we speak it, we are responsible for it, all right? And so that's what we talked about last week. This morning we are going to move on. We're not going to look at every verse in the remainder of this chapter, but we are going to finish up the chapter. As we do, I want to share just a quick thought, a quick story with you that will kind of give direction to where this message is headed. Most of you know that a few weeks ago our kids finished Christmas break and they we're able to go back to the educational process called school, something that every child is always excited and thrilled about. And so I think they went back to school on a Tuesday, and so that Wednesday night when school had resumed that week, on Wednesday night I got one of the kids here at church, and I just said, so how was school today? And I was just trying to make conversation with a young person, and so I said, how was school today? And I was immediately met with a response that let me know they did not approve of how it went when they returned to school. Whenever I said, how did school go, their immediate response was something like this. It was boring. 
I mean, I understand school's not real exciting, so I wasn't real surprised at their statement. But I said, well, why was it boring? And they said, because we spent the whole day going over the rules of school. So we spent the whole day going over these rules. You can't do this. You have to do this. You can't do this. They said it's the same thing we did at the beginning of the school year. So you could tell that for that particular child that I was visiting with, that the day in their mind had been wasted. Just reviewing things that they already knew. Now as they expressed their lack of approval for how that day was spent, I thought this to myself. I can promise you two weeks was more than enough time for some of those students to forget. I mean, you give some students two weeks off and they'll forget that they even attend school. And so much less remembering all the rules and all the do's and the don'ts. So the administration knew it's needed for at least some of them, maybe not all of them, but at least for some of them it is needed after that kind of a break. And I would go so far as to say this, some students need the reminder every day. We still don't do this. We still don't do this. You're still not allowed to do that. And some students, if you've ever been around them for very long, you realize this, they don't need it every day. They need it every few moments. We still don't do this. Hey, listen, nothing's changed in the last 15 minutes. We're, we're not doing that. No, no, you're still not allowed. You know that to be true, do you not? Some kids get it, and okay, they got it, and they're going to remember it, and they'll remember it for a long, long time. Other people do need the reminders, and some people need the reminders a bit more frequently, and some need them all the time. And I say that for this reason. This morning we're about to get into a text, and guess what? We've been over this before. We've been down this road, and some of you may sit here this morning and say something like this, I got it. Do you hear me? I've got it. Some of you may sit here this morning and you may say something like this, well, this is kind of boring. I mean, I already know all this. Yeah, I know. But see, for some of us, it's been a while since we've heard it, so guess what? We need to hear it again. It's been a while, so we need to be refreshed on this because we're kind of like kids who are maybe a little bit hyperactive sometimes, and, and so we're bouncing over here and we're bouncing over here, and then it's like, oh, yeah, i got to remember that. And some of us don't just need it today because it's been a while. Some of us would do ourselves well if we would just kind of put this on, on auto replay and just play it over and over and over and over because we need this on a daily basis. Now, I know you're dying to know what it is we're about to discuss. So look in verse number 18. In verse number 18, he says, Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth, for it is his portion. Now, what is Solomon saying in verse number 18? He is saying the exact same thing that he has said on different occasions in the first four chapters of this book. He is saying, you need to enjoy where you're at in life. You need to enjoy where you're at in life. Now, some of you may sit here and say, Brother Kyle, we got that. You dealt with that like three months ago. We got it. We're enjoying it. I'm just telling you, some of us need to be reminded of this. Enjoy where you're at and stop looking forward to some other stage or looking back on some other stage and wishing that you could be there rather than where you're at now. This past week, we had a technician stop by the church and... 
They were doing some work here that had to be done, and I was visiting with him, and we had dealt with each other in the past, and, and so I was just talking to him. We hadn't seen each other in a couple of years, and, and so I said, well, how are you doing? And he said, he's doing fine. And I said, now, how's the family doing? And he said, oh, it's good. I said, now, how many kids do you have now? I said, well, we've got two and one on the way. The oldest is six, the youngest is three, and now we're pregnant with the third one, should be here any time. And I said, man, that's great. And you know what he said to me? He said, I'm so ready to get past this stage. He said, I'm so ready to just get to the point where the kids can take care of themselves. And before any of us, dad or mom, shake our heads like, oh, I can't believe that they'd say something like that. Hey, just remember the number of times we thought, I can't wait. Right? The number of times we thought, man, I, I will be so happy when they can fix their own sandwich, when they can go to the restroom without us. I'll be so happy when they can be in a room by themselves and, and me not have to worry about it. Let's be honest. We've all been there at different times in our lives where we have looked forward to some other stage because we didn't know how to enjoy where we were at for the moment. I'm telling you, I need the reminder over and over and over again because like so many other people, I began looking ahead thinking to myself, oh, it'll be good then or it'll be better then or I can't wait till that moment. So I shared with the technician, I said, man, enjoy this moment. I said, the next stage in life, it's good. He's quite a bit younger than me. I said, enjoy this moment. I said, you'll enjoy it when your kids are older. You will. But I said, you're going to miss those little chubby feet running around and crawling up in your lap and, and snuggling with you and cuddling with you. I said, so just enjoy where you're at and don't rush through it. Now, see, Solomon has hit this theme more than we understand or maybe more than we realize because I've not touched on it every time we've passed over it. But you know what Solomon is saying over and over and over and over again? He's simply saying this, enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Now, as we think on that, we're going to look at some verses out of order because I think, for me at least, it helps my mind understand the flow. But notice what he said in verse number 19. He said, every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. Well, what does it mean when he says in verse 19, every man to whom God hath given riches and wealth? All right, it just means this, that God has blessed us abundantly with riches and possessions. Now, I don't know if you feel as though you fit into that category, but you do. You understand this? You fit into the category that you have been blessed with riches and wealth and riches and abundance. Somebody may say, well, I don't feel like I've been blessed with riches and abundance or riches and wealth. Just look around how the rest of the world lives and you'll find out and you'll discover very quickly, we live better than about 90% of the rest of the world. It's a very small portion of the world that lives as well as we do. We are a blessed group of people. You need to seem a little bit more convinced than that, okay? We are a blessed group of people who enjoy the riches and the wealth. And he said next, And given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. What does that mean? It means this, that whenever God gives us these things, not only does he give them to us, you know, for us to have, but for us to enjoy them. And when we're honest, again, we would have to admit this, we are able to enjoy what God has given us. To be able to do certain things, to be able to experience certain aspects of this life, to be able to engage in so many things that really are not essential to our existence, and yet we have these things. Now notice what he said at the end of verse number 19, that this 
is a gift of God. This is a gift of God. Well, Solomon, what are you trying to say? Solomon says this, listen, everything you've got is because God gave it to you. Everything that you have, everything that you possess, the money that you have in the bank, the home that you live in, the cars that you drive, the experiences that you've enjoyed, the things that you've been able to, to take part of, every bit of that is a gift from God. That is not anything that we deserved, and that is not anything that we accomplished on our own. The fact that you and I have anything and are able to experience anything is because of God's goodness in our lives. Now, would we at least agree on this, that, that we ought to acknowledge that? That I don't have what I have because I'm so smart, or I'm such a hard worker, or I've given myself to accomplish all these things. I know we've heard this before, but I want to remind us again that there are many people in this world, when you get outside of the United States, there are many people in this world who work much harder than we work, whether we like to admit it or not, and they will never enjoy the bounty that we enjoy. We are blessed because of God's goodness to us. It is a gift that we enjoy. And if we don't believe it, we can all point to examples where God decided to remove it from a person and there was nothing they could do to change it. What we have, what we enjoy, what we experience, what we take part of, Every bit of that is a gift of God, and as such, wherever we're at in life, we need to just enjoy it. That being said, notice what he said before getting there in verses 18 and 19. Notice in verse number 10, he speaks of silver, and he says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. I think most of you know that in their days, silver was like a form of currency. It's how a person would have bought things. It's how a person would have, you know, gone to market or dealt with someone else and, and exchanged silver for some kind of a product or some kind of a service. And so, for lack of better words, we would say it like this, that silver for them was like money for us. And so what Solomon said is that he that loveth silver or he that loveth money shall not be satisfied with silver or money. What does it mean to love something? It's fairly simple to understand, is it not? It means to have a strong affection for it. So here's what Solomon suggested some 4,000 years ago, whatever the time frame would have been. He suggested that in his day you could look around and that you could find people who had this very strong affection for money. If you and I were to just stop for a moment and begin thinking about different people in our lives, could it be said that you and I have ever crossed paths or run across someone who you would say of them they had a strong affection for money? Yeah, see, right now you're going to church with some. Because even in the church, there are people who have a very strong affection for money. 
It's what drives them. It's what motivates them. It's what causes them to, to get up and to go throughout their day. You say, oh, surely not. Oh, surely it, it is true that there are people who are motivated by the almighty dollar because they have this affection for the dollar. And everything that they believe it will produce for them in their lives. Again, I know this is review. I know that we've heard this before. I know that I've said these things before, but I want us to think about this. There are people who are willing to sacrifice their health for money. It doesn't matter to them that they're destroying their health. It doesn't matter that they're depriving themselves of future quality years. They're doing this all because of money, 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 money. They don't mind sacrificing their health because they're in love with this thing called money. There are people who no doubt will sacrifice their family because of their love for money. It doesn't matter that their family suffers. It doesn't matter that time with the family is being uh, ignored or done away with because they've got to work so that they can make money. They don't care if it's their health that's destroyed. They don't care if it's their family that's destroyed. They don't care if it's their testimony that is destroyed. Hey, it doesn't matter to them what it does to their spiritual lives because they have got to make money. Now, here's what Solomon said. He said that for the person who loves money, for the person who loves silver, they will not ever be satisfied with the silver. Solomon reminds anyone who would have picked up these words that there is never enough money to bring pure satisfaction to the one who loves it. Like you, I can think of people that I have known and money has been their driving force in life. And when they should have been satisfied years ago, when they should have said, I've reached enough years ago, you know what they were still pursuing? Money. I'm sure some of you have heard this story. I don't know if it's entirely accurate. I don't know if it's 100% true. But it is said that J.D. Rockefeller was one time asked how much money was enough. And his response was this. One more dollar than I've got right now. One more dollar. I know that not everyone is a Rockefeller. I know that not everyone is a billionaire or a millionaire or even one who has hundreds of thousands of dollars. But I'm telling you, every one of us know people who are striving to get there and think that if they could just reach certain financial goals, they would be happy. And Solomon reminds us, listen, if money is what drives you, and if money is what has your heart, if money is what your, it has your affection, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it will never be enough to satisfy you. Do you think some young people need to be reminded of this? Do you think some young adults need to be reminded of this? Do you think some middle-agers need to be reminded of this? Oh, I can promise you we need the reminder. 
So, Brother Kyle, I'm past that middle age point. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the backside. I, I get it. But sometimes there are still people who are so in love with money that they'll go to their grave in love with their money. Because that's what's had their affection all their lives. I don't know how much money you've got right now. I don't know how much money you have in the bank. I don't know how much money you have at your disposal. I just want to remind us today, it doesn't really matter because money will never be what satisfies you. And you know what you need to do? You just need to stop and recognize I'm where I'm at right now and and I've got what I've got because of God's gift in my life and I just need to enjoy it. So if I've got 10 bucks in my wallet and that's all I've got, then you know what? Just enjoy where you're at. That's not to say be content there and live there the rest of your life. If you can do a little bit better, that may be possible. But I'm just saying this. Understand that if you have $10,000 or $10 million or just $10, you're not going to be any happier where you're at if your happiness is based on how much money you've got. And we need to hear that even in the church. But notice what else he said in verse number 10. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. What does it mean whenever he says, he that loveth abundance with increase? Well, this would be a little bit different than silver or money. Because here's what happens, and you know this, some people love to just hoard up money. They love to be able to say, well, I've got this much money in the bank. They love to look at that balance sheet and say, oh, look how much money we've got in our IRA, honey. Oh, would you look how good we're doing? Some people thrive on that. But see, some people, here's what they like to do. They like to increase in their abundance or their substance or their what we would call stuff. See, some people don't have a lot of stuff, but they have a lot of money, and they think that's what will satisfy them. There are other people who have a lot of stuff, but not much money, because they think that stuff will be what satisfies them. And so they buy this, and they buy this, and they buy this, and they do this, and they do this, and they purchase this, and, and they, you know, they spend everything they've got for stuff, thinking that that will satisfy them. What everyone needs to hear at least once, and what many of us need to hear over and over again, is this truth. We have never bought anything that brought us permanent joy, and we will never buy anything that brings us permanent joy. You got this? Oh, yeah, I got that. No, no, I mean, are are we hearing this? You look at anything you have ever bought in the past, and I don't care what it was, I don't care how great we thought it was, when we bought it, we do not have the same level of affection for it now than when we first bought it. It's just impossible. Because there is nothing in this world that can bring that kind of satisfaction to us. So you buy yourself the dream car, you buy yourself the dream home, you take the dream vacation, you do whatever it is you want to do, and I'm here to remind every one of us, myself included, that did not bring you permanent joy, and whatever you do in the future will not bring you permanent joy. I like what Solomon said in verse number 11. He said this, He said, when goods increase, 
They are increased that eat them. What does it mean to eat something? It means to consume them. He said, you take the person and their goods and their substance and their riches increase. He said, you know what also increases? The very things that like to consume those things. You know what I've heard? I don't know if this is entirely true, but I think it is. You know what I've heard is this, is like the more money you make, the more you have to pay in taxes. I'm going to make more, I'm going to make more, I'm going to make more. And something over here is going, I've got an appetite, I've got an appetite. I'm going to eat that up, I'm going to chew that up. Oh, I'm going to to enjoy that. And you know what you're doing? You're working so hard to make so much so that the federal government will say, yeah, I'll take some of that and I'll take some of that. Ooh, I like that too. And you know what we're doing? So many times we're working so hard to get so much stuff that we can give to somebody else. You know, we buy all this stuff and we get all these things and, and we've acquired so much because that's going to bring us joy. And then we've got to start worrying, okay, now how are we going to protect all this from the elements? Because I can't leave that parked outside and I can't leave that just exposed to the elements. And so I've got to do this and I've got to do this because if I don't do this, what's the rust going to do? The rust is going to eat it up. So people have to build sheds and they have to build barns and they have to fill their car or their garages up with with all sorts of stuff because if we don't, what's going to happen? Something else is going to eat it up. I've never been in this position, not really to a great extent anyways, thankfully. But some of you know what I'm about to mention is true, that sometimes it's not the government, sometimes it's not rust, sometimes you got all these new friends and new family members you had forgotten about who are there to help you eat it up. Am I speaking the truth or is that just something I heard and it's fiction and it's not real? I mean... I've heard these stories that, you know, sometimes when when you're the successful one, you've got all sorts of family now who loves to hang out with you. Well, because, you know, Uncle Bob's the fun one because Bob's the only one who's ever got money. See, Solomon knew what it was like that the more you have, the more things that are going to come your way that want to eat up what you've worked so hard to possess. Now, again, I I know that I've said this, but I I want to say it again. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with things. But we've got to remember that it will never satisfy us, and there are always responsibilities attached to those things, and sometimes the responsibility isn't worth what it is. I do know that to be true. Notice what he said next. I don't like this statement, just so you know, but it's, it's good. He said, And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? What do you mean, Solomon? I mean this, dummy. The only good all that junk does for you now is for you to be able to look at it and say, Yep, I got it. Because it's not really doing anything for you. I mean, let's just be honest. If you were to walk through your house right now, would you be able to spot something somewhere in the corner that at some point in the past you just had to have? 
And now you're looking at it going, I got it. What do you do with it? I look at it, I guess, from time to time. What do you do with that? Well, every once in a while I pick it up and I dust it. Well, what do you do with this? Well, every once in a while I move it from this corner to this corner. Well, what do you do with this? Well, every once in a while I take it out and I use it, but I really, I mean, I don't have any real purpose for it. Can any of you identify with that? I mean, how much money has been spent on things that we thought, ooh, I just got to have it. Oh, it's just so shiny. It's just so pretty. It's just so nice. And now we've got it and we used it a whole lot or we enjoyed it much for, you know, the first part of its life. But, but now all it does is sit somewhere and we get to say, uh-huh. Yeah, I spent that much money on that. Boy, that, have you ever said this to your spouse? To your spouse? That was a dumb purchase. Talk about an impulse buy. Yeah, we bought it and we're still paying for it. It's amazing. We live amongst stuff that does us no good. The only joy or pleasure that we get out of it is to look at it and touch it every once in a while and say, yep, we've got it. And what do we find ourselves wanting to do? Buy something else. Well, what are you going to do with that? Well, I'm going to put it in the corner. Well, what are you going to do with that that's already in the corner? Oh, I don't know. I'll put it in the other corner. Wait. When are we going to stop this cycle of madness? Oh, we'll put that in the garage sale closet. That's the famous words at our house. We'll put it in the garage sale closet so when the garage sale comes around, we listen, the only reason we buy stuff anymore is to sell it in the garage later or in the garage sale later to help kids go to youth camp. That seems to be our lot in buying things. But it does us no good. Notice what he said next in verse number 12. He said, the sleep of a, of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Any truth to that? I wish I was rich. I wouldn't have any worries then. You know what the rich person says? I was a lot more at ease and a lot more at peace when I didn't have so much junk and so much stuff that I had to keep up with and that I had to deal with and that I had to be mindful of. I'm telling you, we need to be reminded of this sometimes, that money is not everything it's cracked up to be. Because you've got to worry about, well, I don't want to lose it, and I've worked so hard to acquire it, and I've got to do this, and, and I need to do this, and I wonder if it's enough, and what about this? Did you know that there are just certain worries that poor people don't have? Like who's going to steal all their money they don't have? They don't ever have to worry about what the stock market numbers are looking like. Their IRA is not a concern of theirs because they don't have an IRA. See, we've got to be reminded that so many times what we're working for isn't even going to bring us the peace that we think it will. Sometimes what we've worked so hard to acquire may be the very thing that now robs us from something as simple as the pleasure of a good night of rest. And then he says in verse number 15, 
He said, as he came forth from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? You know what Solomon reminds us of? He reminds us of this truth. That just as we came into the world, that is exactly how we will leave this world. We entered with nothing, and we will go out with nothing. But I'm worth so much. Not when you're dead. But I have this much money. And only your kids and grandkids care. I have all these possessions that someone else will fight over. Solomon is very clear. We're going to go out just like we came in. Again, I know I've referenced this over the years, but this may help someone. I don't know, but you've heard me say so many times that in the last 16 years, I have helped with hundreds and hundreds of funerals here in town. And over the years, I have helped with funerals where the people had money and the county had to pay for it, and they got buried in the back end of the cemetery. They got buried in a cardboard box, literally, that was wrapped in some kind of cheap fabric. They didn't even get a nice vault to be lowered in. And that is how they left this world. And their lives ended up in just a very small amount of square feet. But you know what else I've seen? I've seen those who died with millions. And the only difference between them and the pauper is they could afford a little bit nicer box, a little bit nicer vault, maybe a little bit nicer headstone, but they got buried in the same amount of square feet as the pauper in the back of the cemetery. I'm sure you've seen this over the years, but that neat little drawer in these caskets now that pop out, and, and you can put notes in there to grandma or grandpa or whoever the deceased is. You can put jewelry in there. You can put trinkets in there. And then when the service is done and you're about to lower the casket into the ground, you can lock it up for safekeeping. Well, because you know what every... No, Lock it up for safekeeping? Are we serious? See, people have a hard time realizing that grandma, grandpa, whoever it is in the casket, they're not going to pull that note out later and read it and appreciate it. They're, they're not going to pull out that jewelry and say, Oh, I remember when I bought this. This was such a happy occasion in my life. No, it, listen, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. When we are dead, we are dead. When we are done with this life, we are done with this life. And everything we worked so hard to acquire and to, to achieve and to accomplish 
Every bit of it will be done, and we're going out just as we came in with nothing. A couple of weeks ago, a family that Susie is associated with somewhat loosely, but she has known them for many years, one of their brothers, the, Susie knew the sisters better, but one of their brothers was driving home one evening just a couple of weeks ago, right after Christmas. He was involved in a car wreck, and he was killed. And as I watched certain things come across Facebook in relation to the accident and the man's death, I could not help but remember this truth over and over and over again. Everything that had been important to him ten minutes prior to the wreck no, no longer mattered. Whatever his mind had been on an hour ago, it doesn't matter. Because death is final. And it brings a halt to everything that we think is so important sometimes. I just want to summarize this. I just want to try to wrap it up and to remind us of what we discussed this morning. We need to enjoy where we're at and not long for some other phase or stage in life. Just enjoy where God has you today. Oh, Brother Kyle, I'm doing it. No, no, no. Quit with that because we struggle with it. Enjoy where God has you. Recognize that everything we have in our possession today and everything that we enjoy and everything that we partake of, recognize that it has nothing to do with what you have done. It is everything, or it has everything to do what God has done for us. Remind yourself from time to time when we need the reminder, don't love this world too much. Don't love the money. Don't love the things. Don't love all of this. Because here's what will happen one day. It's just going to be something that we look at, but we don't even really enjoy anymore. It's just going to be something else that we've got to worry about and lose sleep over. And it's just something else that, that something else is going to eat up. We just need to remember it's really not that important because it won't be ours for very long because one day we'll die. And they may bury us in a suit or they may bury us in some nice outfit, but the only reason they did that was just out of decency on our behalf because we don't even get to take that with us when we're gone. We've just got a very short amount of time here on this earth. And we need to be reminded. Listen, please, we need to be reminded, don't take all that too serious. It just doesn't matter. And I promise you, there are people in this church, because I am one of them, we need the reminder. We need the reminder. And we need to ask the Lord on a regular basis, for those of us who struggle with it, Lord, please help me to not get too wrapped up and too consumed with the things of this world. God, help me to remember what matters most. And let that be what drives me. Let that be what motivates me. Let that be the things that cause me to get up in the morning. 
the things that truly matter, my relationship with you and my relationship with the people God has brought in my life. If he gives us much, if we die with little, don't worry about it. Because in the end, that does not matter. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning. I know it's review. I know it is things we have heard so many times. And God, by no means do I want this message to be a bore. By no means do I want this message to be unnecessary for anyone. But there may be some who have this all together and they don't struggle with it. But Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that you'd help us to just remember how fleeting and how temporary the things of this world truly are. How incapable they are to bring us joy and to bring us satisfaction. God, I pray that you'd help us today to be reminded of what matters and to just enjoy where you have us right now, taking advantage of what you've already given us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lord